Hello and welcome to this new episode of Chapter and Verse, The Art of Selling Children's Books, featuring some of the most exciting children's book authors working today. I'm Charlotte Eyre and this podcast is brought to you by the bookseller and Rocket. Today's episode is all about magical middle grade and my guest is Anna James, a writer and journalist who is the author of Pages and Co, a gorgeous series about a girl called Tilly who can book wonder, which means she can wander in and out of the pages of books. Hi Anna, it's great to have you here today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. First of all, with your author and book industry expert hats on, can you tell us how you would define magical middle grade as a genre? Do you know what? I'm going to immediately pass the buck because the author Louise Stoll did an amazing graphic on Twitter where she kind of really spelled out all the different nuances of the different kinds of genres and specific stories you get within that. I mean, because I would just go with a very little inter- literal interpretation in that the middle grade you know, eight to 12. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is a very intelligent answer. Like, books for eight to 12 girls with magic in them. <laughs> like that's... But they are hugely popular, aren't they? As, as a kind of, they're such a sort of mainstay of the children's publishing industry. And, you know, you've had huge success with your books. Can you tell me a little bit more about them? So who's Tilly? So there's three books in the series at the moment and work on the fourth at the moment. So uh, they are about their sort of secondary world, their portal fantasy. Is that the right thing? Basically, it's set, it's rooted in our real world. And Tilly, my heroine, lives in a bookshop in North London called Pages and Co. And she realises that she is a book wanderer. And that means she can travel inside of books. So they go inside real books uh, like Treasure Island, Alice in Wonderland, but Shakespeare. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also kind of a world around like the idea of story being a physical place you can explore. Yeah. Which they get into more in the later books, which is kind of more in that traditional full. It's, that feels more like kind of full fantasy stuff, like a completely invented world. OK. Um, what was your inspiration Can you remember when you had the first idea for the story? I didn't have a very neat origin story. It was a kind of lots of ideas that kind of came together. I mean, I'm sure you know what it's like when you work for the bookseller, when you work in publishing, people often ask you, Mm. are you trying to write? Do you want to write? And for ages I had been like, no, I don't, you know, don't have an idea. I don't want to force one. And then I had been writing about the impact of children's books and sort of just exploring that kind of thing and and it's just sort of I thought that there was maybe something that could tip over from the journalism stuff to an actual an actual story and fiction the idea of the impact that the characters we love as children have had on us as adults and as readers Mm -hmm. and as people working in publishing and then yeah I just thought maybe there was an actual a novel in that I think the idea of talking to the characters who've had a huge impact on you as a reader is just wonderful to me Uh, and so kind of came from there and I've always enjoyed reading children's books I was a school librarian for years Um, and then the other kind of key thing I think that sort of brought it together was uh, in the book Tilly lives with her grandparents because her mum has gone missing Um, and growing up my relationship with my granddad was hugely rooted in books we used to walk to his local bookshop and choose books together and it was a huge part of our relationship and I think the chance to kind of write about that and explore a grandparent relationship was really really appealing to me as well. 
Oh, that's lovely. I mean, I, uh, you know, just saying to the producers before we started recording this, how impressive I think it is that you managed to, like you say, you've got the narrative around Tilly and her family, but then she wanders into all these books and there are all these characters that come to the fore. How do you kind of keep a lid on structuring that and keeping it all together? I mean, the honest answer is, I feel like, not very well slash with the help of excellent editors. <laughs> Although I love writing the book Wandering Scenes, I think initially I was a little bit worried about people, you know, writing these characters that are beloved and adding elements to their stories. I think it's a very fine balance of how you do that. And the mechanics of book wandering mean that basically the books will always revert back to what they are. Um, I didn't want to get into really fundamentally changing characters that mean a lot to people. Mm -hmm. Um, And like the stretching, honestly, I'm not a big planner and the kind of plot and pacing is the thing that I always have to spend the longest working on. Um, The book wandering scenes and the kind of magic in the world building is the stuff that I love. And I always have to kind of really pay attention and work with my editor on making sure that I am keeping a, a handle on the, the, <laughs> the layers yeah. and the magic rules as well because the thing I was so naive about was by the time I'm writing a fourth book in a series the amount of magic like rules and structures you've created by this point there's so much of it is just keeping track of how I've said things work and trying to find new places for the story to go without contradicting things that I've already said in book one yeah I can imagine I can imagine now the the most recent book is the third book in the series so that's um out in hardback last year and paperback this year is that right yes next week at the first of April yeah how exciting tell me about this story so Tilly and the map of stories is yes the third book in the series and I would say it it definitely is they're not standalones, you know, you could, I would hope that you could pick enough up. And actually in the third book, one of the things I'm really happy with was that we've done a previously in little bit, because, you know, in a TV show, it tells you, and yeah. I always find like as an adult reading series books that I am just like, oh, I can't remember who this character is. And so we did a little previously in section, which I really, I'm really happy with. And I would love I hope we keep doing that um Mm -hmm. so at the end of book two Tilly and her best friend Oscar basically realize that they need to track down the archivists which are this kind of semi-mythical group of book wanderers who are supposed to be there to help sort out book wandering problems but haven't been heard from for generations and people have started adults have started to believe that maybe you know it's just a old wives tale all along um and so Tilly and Oscar follow a set of clues deep into layers of story to try uh, and find the archivist to help them sort out the situation at the British underlibrary where two uh, not very savoury characters have got into power and are causing havoc. Mm-hmm. Oh I love those baddies they were <laughs> um they were genuinely quite scary um I also like the fact there are libraries in this book so it felt like there was a celebration of libraries and librarians there um, who are, you know, they're sort of trying to stop book wondering, aren't they? They're trying to put controls over uh, what Tilly and you know, people can do. And I wondered, Amy, this might be me reading too much into it, but are you, were you trying to sort of discuss or make a comment on 
um, how adults control what children read and what children read and whether and how they shouldn't do that was that something you were conscious of yes absolutely and I want to make it clear there are both good and bad librarians they're not all the librarians <laughs> aren't all on mass saying that I'm a former no, librarian and I have a deep love the baddies are <laughs> librarians but there are also a lot of very good librarians in the book as well um but uh yeah absolutely I think that um working with I worked with teenagers as I was in a secondary and sixth form school and you just you see kids lose that love of reading and yeah. sometimes very well-intentioned efforts just make it worse in terms of what we think children should be reading and enjoying um and I absolutely was wanting to just kind of talk about that it's important that we let people find their own kind of reading path and children read what they respond to um and I also want you know the baddies are very I shall he is a smooth talking blonde man who talks about the importance of you know the borders of book wandering and rules and I really wanted to just ask questions about who makes rules and who we put in authority and like uh Northern Lights was a huge book for me as a child partly because it introduced me just to the idea of that people in charge aren't always you know have our don't always have our best interests at heart and also that you can love someone who doesn't you don't have the same opinions as and Tilly also has to kind of grapple with her grandparents and what they think is best for her uh and I just you know I really wanted to kind of make sure the books are always thinking about the importance of standing up for yourself and what you believe in At this point in the conversation, I wanted to bring in an interview with Lottie Halstead, a marketing manager for Penguin Random House, whose job includes looking after campaigns for several middle grade authors, including superstar Tom Fletcher. We had a chat about capturing the point of difference, what consumers want and how Instagram users are aging up. Hi Lottie, can you introduce yourself and tell us what your experience is with middle grade titles? Yes, so my name is Lottie Halstead and I'm a marketing manager in the Penguin Random House children's team. And my experience on middle grade titles is working primarily on Tom Fletcher's um, books for the last two years now and also um, launching kind of the debut author, Hannah Took, as well, which was last year. Okay, now that's, yeah, quite different books. It's quite a crowded market, isn't it? How do you capture the point of difference for each book? That's a really good question. I think it actually kind of starts at the acquisition stage. So something that I'm, we really try and do in our team and I really try and do is really always think very consumer first. So at the point of buying a book, I think it's thinking who is going to be reading this, who is the audience. And starting there, I think when you can identify that far out, that's the best thing because I think it's not great if you acquire a book and then struggle with that point of difference. So um, I think working really far, far out is like the key to that. And obviously the middle grade market has so many kind of magical and imaginative titles. So it's really about being really certain about where a certain book is going to fit. And I think that starts kind of at the very beginning, really. Okay. And when you mean seeing where it's going to fit, what do you mean? Are you talking about retail when you say where it's going to fit? I think it's kind of thinking about the consumer and kind of, again, like I was saying, who will be reading this book where will they be shopping and I, I think retail feeds into that as well so kind of is it would it sit in Tesco's is it going to sit in Waterstones and that kind of fits in with that okay interesting and also that middle grade audience is at the turning point isn't it those kids aren't necessarily as influenced by their parents as younger readers would be yeah 
So how do you think about that in terms of marketing and what's the balance between sort of directly to kids and then aiming more at the parents? It really varies from campaign to campaign and like your the campaign objectives as well. So kind of what's the overall goal? And again, it kind of comes back to the product. So like, are we aiming for pester power? Is it a book that kids, we want kids to be begging their parents to buy? Or is it a bit of a higher price point and maybe something more of a gift purchase that a parent will be buying for their kid? Um, So kind of thinking about it that way is kind of how I normally do it. Um, And I do a lot of kind of dual targeting campaigns as well. So you kind of reach parents and kids at the same time um, with different creatives and messaging because obviously how you speak to it you know or where you're positioning to reach a child is so different to how you're going to speak to an adult mm. about um, the same title which is always really interesting so yeah so it can be a real mix but I think um, yeah it kind of really does vary from campaign to campaign. Could you give us an example of one book and the different way you know one way that you targeted parents and maybe the other way that you targeted the readers? Yeah, so I'd actually say kind of The Danger Gang. So um, that's a book, uh, one of Tom Fletcher's books, but um, it's just come out in paperback. So we did a um, paperback campaign for it. And um, a part of my um, kind of what I wanted to do was to really reach kids. So we did a partnership with the Beano, um, which was a great way of kind of reaching those kids in the playground and especially about to go on the summer holidays. But then kind of at the same time of that, we were also reaching parents with online advertising. So that's kind of, yeah, like a bit of an example of how you can do both at the same time really was that one of those uh, comics where tom actually appeared as a character in the beano yeah so he was actually one of the characters so it was a character frankie brown from the um the danger gang who appeared in a co- <laughs> its own comic strip which was brilliant and i used to love reading the beano so it was actually really cool kind of seeing that in print it was felt like a bit of a yeah surreal and re- really cool moment Oh, amazing. Yeah, I used to read it as well. Yeah. (laughs) It's so much fun. Now, talking of Tom, let's talk about celebrity authors. What are Mm -hmm. the main things you consider when you're dealing with someone? I mean, big author, big profile, but also a big book, right? There's a lot of pressure riding on it to do well in the market. I think the great thing about working on his books is there's a real breadth of publishing. So he's got his like preschool, who's in your book, books. There's the dinosaur that pooped, which he writes with his bandmate Dougie, and then there's his middle grade. So he's got his Christmas story series, but then there's also his standalone kind of middle grade titles. So there's feels like there's a real mix of different audiences um, that you can target for each campaign. And um, because I work across all of them, I feel quite lucky because I get to kind of do a real mix of targeting um, in terms of who I'm who I'm advertising to, and also campaign to campaign, it all feels quite different. Mm. Yeah, so it's a really good one to be working on. And what kind of platforms do you use? I mean, we've talked a lot on this podcast about TikTok, so you don't have to go into too much detail. But I mean, do you use TikTok? And what other things do you use specifically for middle grade? So I haven't used TikTok yet. And I feel like this year is going to be the year because um, it's had such amazing growth. And I find it such an interesting platform because it's it just feels so much more creative than Facebook and Instagram in terms of advertising as well. Like I think it's quite exciting that you can do real interesting video content. It can be so high spec as well. I think it looks brilliant. It looks so slick. Um, and it does seem to be where that middle grade audience is increasingly spending lots of time. Um, but in terms of what I've done in the past, I yeah, tend to advertise on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and Instagram is really great. And it's a platform that I think is really brilliant for advertising because it has so many functions to it now. Like you have Instagram stories, but you also have... Um, in-feed posts, you have um, reels, you have Instagram lives, you have um, Instagram videos as well. So it feels a bit kind of um, endless of what you can do. And there always seems to be something new that someone's trying on there, which is always quite interesting as well. 
Are those the parents that are on the Instagram or is it the children themselves? So I'd say it's parents on Instagram um, that we're kind of targeting and advertising. Um, I think I think it's it's interesting with Instagram as well. I do feel like it's kind of um, ages up quite a lot. Um, and I think all, I feel like all the kids are going to a TikTok and then yeah. <laughs> moving away from Instagram. I feel like wherever the parents are, the kids don't want to be. So sure. um, <laughs> yeah. Well, you were having these conversations about Facebook, weren't we, a few years ago? And now it's sort of shifting to Instagram. Yeah, it's so interesting how I think, yeah, when people move on to one thing and kids want to move off so yeah (laughs) final question let's talk a little bit about the heritage of middle grade Mm. there is so many fantastic classic authors in the market and I think when most people think of children's fiction they think of Joan Aiken or indeed many of the authors that Anna who is our guest on today's show includes in her book how do you harness this love for classic children's fiction in your job how does it help you market books I think it's, um, I just feel like classics, you know, they obviously have their name for a reason, like they they travel across time and something that's published 70, 100 years ago to resonates with readers, it's really a, an amazing thing. Um, and I think the key is thinking really creatively about classics, so kind of looking at them with fresh eyes and how they can reach contemporary readers is really important and just really trying to look into those timeless themes that kind of can resonate with authors today and I also think backlist is a really big part of the children's publishing industry and um, especially yeah across all publishers I think you can be really clever with how you look at your backlist and how you re-examine it and and I know that we've seen kind of like seasonally that certain books come up again and again um, and also when kind of more cultural like I see things are happening um, backlist can really kind of pop up again so I think thinking about it yeah creatively and with fresh eyes all the time um, one thing I did, uh, I worked on the 40th anniversary campaign for Funny Bones by Alan Arberg last year. And we kind of looked at a brand partnership for that. But we also really thought about kind of targeting parents with really nostalgic messaging about, um, you know, they might have read it when they were younger. And now they might have children or pe- kids in their lives that they know that they might want to gift a copy to. So I think putting yourselves in the shoes of someone who has enjoyed that book as well and thinking where they are now and what they might be doing is also a good way of reaching people with classics and do you ever try and sort of connect new books with older books by sort of saying if you loved Alan Oldbrook you might also like xyz yeah definitely because I think I think also with some titles there is that recognition I I know I get it with certain books I see artwork or I see um, some illustrations I'm like oh my gosh I remember that from when I was younger and you just don't sometimes don't know the the name of the book or the the author and I think that's again like a really clever way of kind of connecting the two and if you like this then you like this yeah nostalgia is I'm sure yeah really important in your job yeah definitely I think everyone you know has I think most people know like or remember at least maybe one book or one story from when they were younger and yeah I think everyone has that deep down in them yeah indeed and it's the basis for Anna James's entire series which you know is brilliant and loved by all of us Anna, I wanted to ask you about your publishing journey. Now, I don't know if you remember, but this will be several years ago now. You and I were working, uh, we were running a YA book prize stand at Yelk. And you told me you had this idea for a book. And I said, oh, that sounds fantastic. And you said, I really, if I could have any agents, it would be Claire Wilson. Did I say, I can't remember saying that. You did. Uh, so, ta-da. Oh, oh, that's pleasing. Yeah, so look what happened. So tell us about, you know, getting your dream agent and then the deal with HarperCollins? So working at the book site, I'd had a few agents 
approached me and said did I write and I didn't and so I said no <laughs> and uh and it all just worked out very serendipitously because this idea had come to me and just kind of all the things we talked about sort of started shaping themselves into a specific idea and then really soon afterwards Claire had messaged me and said that she liked my journalism and that I, I would come from you know obviously working with children's books in school libraries and did I had I did I write for children and I had just said to her actually I mean I I don't have a book I can send you but I really just like a, a couple of weeks ago had this idea that I think maybe has some legs um and we had a coffee and got on really well and I kind of told her the concept and she liked it but I hadn't written anything so you know we just sort of had left it as you know if you write anything I'd love to see it and then I'm not sure I've spoken publicly about this but I also had this idea perhaps for trying to put together like an anthology for teen readers um exploring it's it's funny now in hindsight I say like a feminist anthology whereas like what would that be how many years ago you could just say feminist anthology whereas now the nuance of that like what what does that even mean um but Claire I spoke to Claire about that as well and she thought at least one of those projects would be able to come to fruition we started working much more seriously on the anthology and then I was really annoying I was like I can't stop thinking about this novel idea and I know I'm supposed to be putting together this pitch for this anthology but I can't stop thinking about the, the novel would you mind if I had a go at writing that in earnest to see where we got so I wrote about 10,000 words of that and then Claire went on maternity leave so she had just been messaging all her clients just being like checking in where they were at with various projects and I was like oh I've got 10,000 words of this book and I sent it to her thinking you know nothing of it she's about to go on maternity leave and Claire was like actually do you know what I think we should have a go at putting this out on submission before I go on maternity leave just to see and she's like it might it might be that nothing happens and you know at least people then know that you're writing fortunately for me people did <laughs> did want to buy it so it was really nice uh, and so we had the first offer the next day and so that meant that Claire could do an auction and um I it was a weird thing going on submission because obviously when you've worked in publishing it's it's a kind of strange shift of relationships some of the editors I had no relationship with some you know I've been to book launches with you know we've shared glasses of not share glasses of wine you know but you know you've had those like social yeah. fun <laughs> relationships yeah. and it was quite strange kind of going into it and honestly part of the appeal for Harper Collins was that they approached it very much as though I was any other debut author and I liked that very much that we were sort of just going on the book and what they thought of the book and um mm. Lizzie Clifford who was the editor that acquired it I didn't really know her very well but that was a real appeal honestly like I wanted to be able to go into it as an author yeah so you weren't journalist Anna you, or former librarian Anna you were just you know here's my book an exciting debut author that HarperCollins could work with yeah and that was a real appeal you you know you want to believe not that that not that I didn't believe that other editors liked it but Harper just seemed I it was just a good vibe I really liked what they were saying about it um and it wasn't an easy decision to decide who to go with it at that point um because you have to decide so quickly mm. but it's I have not no regrets it really mm. has been a really lovely productive and supportive relationship and I really feel very fortunate to have 
ended up with Harper, although I'm on my fourth editor now. So Lizzie, I barely even worked with Lizzie before she left. I worked with Sarah Hughes on the first book and then Rachel Denwood on the second Mm -hmm. book. And then Nick Lake is my editor now. And I'm hoping I'm not so cursed that he's going to leave as well. (laughs) (laughs) But they did a beautiful job as well. I mean, the whole package was gorgeous um, and they released it as lovely hardback with beautiful illustrations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they did a fantastic job. And I mean, everyone who comes, who's done some kind of work in publishing, I'm sure Nick Lake would say this as well. They think they know publishing, but actually when they're published themselves as an author, it's a whole different experience. I mean, what were the surprises for you, either good or bad? Sometimes I was very grateful to know a bit more. I think that it's easy to read into everything that happens because you're so invested obviously in your book and it was nice to have a bit more understanding of the rhythms of how a book gets published and know what's normal um sometimes I wish I didn't know so much because you end up you aren't reading too much into it you just know that something means something (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. uh and sometimes I wished I knew less and you end up in weird circumstances like I realized I not that this wasn't something I was expecting to get but I was told that I wasn't on an awards shortlist just like in passing at a party Mm. and I only could work I only knew it because I knew about how that prize did it and I knew the timelines and someone did they didn't even realize they were telling me but I knew that the time scales of it Mm. and so again it's just stuff like that which um things you're not expecting I think I'm trying to think of specific kind of surprises. I'm not sure anything was kind of wildly kind of different to what I was expecting. And I'm also aware that I have been very fortunate with, you know, Harper's been so behind the books and, you know, they've they found readers and that, of course, has an impact. I'm, I'm very aware I've had a really like you know the combination of serendipity and hard work whatever you know it's come together and I'm very fortunate for that and I and I'm sure it would have felt differently if you know if that hadn't happened um (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no I can't I can't think of anything like really that was kind of wildly surprising there was nothing that was just completely out the blue but there must have been some really exciting moments as well. These books are really big hit in America, aren't they? And it was that because of they were a Barnes and Noble pick, is that right? Yeah. So the first book went, so they with they published simultaneously now, but the first book came out a year after. And then it was when the first book came out in paperback mm-hmm. March. The Barnes and Noble picked it for their children's book of the month, which was amazing I was so fortunate because it just had such an impact. And you know, Barnes and Noble is everywhere and so many stores and so it it was incredible I'm very grateful to them for choosing I was supposed to be going in um I was supposed to be going to New York and uh meeting them as part of it but of course that didn't happen um but hopefully I'll be able to hopefully I did I did I was lucky I got to do a tour when the hardback came out in America so I got to meet my publisher and everything because in your new book, some of the bookstores are influenced by stores in America, aren't they? Yes, yeah, sort of small details. So I already knew that I wanted to send them to America um, because I wanted to include the Library of Congress um, in the book. But I ended up, yeah, particularly there's a bookstore called Tattered Cover in Devonver, which is a an old theatre that's been adapted into a bookshop. And because I already knew that I was using Shakespeare for the book wandering in book three it just seemed 
serendipitous that I had visited this bookstore. So I, uh, the bookstore that's kind of the main one in book three is in a, in a converted theatre, unashamedly borrowed from Tattered, Tattered Cover, which is a gorgeous bookshop. That sounds amazing. Um, now, book four, which you said uh, you, you're working on or you yeah. finished. Where are you <laughs> with that one? <laughs> no, it's not finished. <laughs> um, I we never I sometimes <laughs> I was talking to a writer friend who was stressed because their publisher wanted their copy edit in soon for a book that comes out the same same time as mine and I am not <laughs> near copy edits <laughs> um so I'm edit, I'm editing it's written it's written I'm just going I'm going through edits with Nick my editor at the moment um it has passed the kind of horrible <laughs> structural edit stage where like it's I feel like into the point where I feel like it fundamentally is the right book and it works so into the more fine tuning part which is less overwhelming. Can you tell us anything about the plot? Yes okay so the fourth book is a kind of new arc so it's very much still part of the same series um, Mm -hmm. but I see the first three as a kind of distinct arc and there's links and characters in common and things that kind of happen in the third book that aren't resolved that are picked up but it's it's a kind of new story in many ways and there's a character that was introduced in the third book I, I don't know I'm being quite I'm just going to say so there's a there's a child character new child character book three called Milo mm-hmm. um and so he and Tilly I'd say are kind of more joint main characters for the fourth book so Tilly's very present but it's also about Milo and Milo's family and story um, just to allow you to kind of explore different bits of the book wandering world Milo is a child who's always known about book wandering you know Tilly's arc is very much discovering the world and I didn't want to do kind of the same rhythms again mm-hmm. um, and that's just like you know it's just a different perspective someone who's grown up always knowing that book wandering um is real so that he lives on board the sesquipedalian which is a train that runs on imagination so there's more of the quip the train so adventures on the quip and there is what can I say (laughs) I I think I can say so that the Wizard of Oz makes an appearance uh and they go to Venice Mm -hmm. um and so yeah I love like lots of there's travel more book wandering uh and I should probably not say anything else <laughs> I'm also like it's we're past the structure but it's not outside the realm like it's not outside the realms of possibility that I might still change plot stuff so I shouldn't commit things to anything. could change <laughs> yes, yes. That's so loosely. let's leave it there yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay I wanted to ask a little bit as well as about how you promote your books because you have um a really good reputation in this industry for being a really good presenter you do things on social media you interview other authors how important is that to you is that something you really enjoy for the most part yes and I think that it's been a very natural you know I was already chairing and social enjoying using social media before I wrote a book so I think that it was very natural to keep using that as an author and I can totally see that if that's not something you've enjoyed doing before and then you feel like you have to do it it would be awful (laughs) but Mm. it's already something that I enjoy and so it just felt very like natural and it just is a way to talk to readers directly like and different networks are good for different things you know like Twitter is great for talking to librarians and teachers and other authors Mm -hmm. you know YouTube is great for talking more directly to families and to readers and I love speaking to other authors like 
I find it fascinating hearing what how other authors work and their relationship with their stories and then being able to sort of do that and also you know at the moment it's been very much about trying to provide as well content for families at home or for teachers and um the book wonders club is geared at young readers and you know has writing prompts and stuff so just to be clear this is your youtube series of videos Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah so I did three live interviews a week in the first lockdown and then now I'm doing a bi-weekly uh bi-weekly does that mean every two weeks or does that mean twice a week what does it mean that both? sounds like one of the arguments we have at the bookseller yeah. <laughs> yeah. endless discussion every two weeks sure. I do okay. a new episode yeah. which has three author interviews in it and kind of writing prompts and kids can send questions in as well um and it's just it's lovely to talk to other writers and the children's book world is so good at community and supporting each other and you know it's just it's I I find it enjoyable and satisfying to be part of that and of course so beyond the industry and before lockdown you presumably had to then go and do events in schools um and talk to you know actor real life children (laughs) what kind of things do you do with them I enjoy school visits I do not enjoy early mornings that is (laughs) <laughs> the what honestly it sounds so ridiculous but I am terrible in the mornings and school visits are often very early and it's just consistently the worst part of tours but everything else about tours I really love I love going to visit schools I think I'm fortunate that because I've worked in a school for years I don't find and because I've done lots of public speaking like I don't find them fundamentally terrifying you know I sort of like I I feel like I've done assemblies to like 400 like 15 and 16 year olds and that's really good prep for being a middle grade author because that is more intimidating Mm. um so it's a mix I've done different events I've got three different events sort of loosely linked to each book um and just try to make them really chatty and interactive and just pull on what I learned from being a school librarian you know I'm not trying obviously I'm talking about my books but really I just want the I just want the kids to come away feeling like it's fun and books are fun and reading and writing are fun and so lots of asking questions with the event I did around the second book Tilly and the Lost Fairy Tales we wrote a fairy tale together and the kids came in like filled in the blanks and we built a fairy tale together that was always really and just encouraged them as well because sometimes teachers get stressed because they come up with silly answers but I was just that was great because just want again it to feel fun and engaging and telling your story you, you can write a funny silly story within reason mm. You know, uh, and then the the third book, which I've been doing virtually, of course, is very much about how the places that I've visited have inspired, uh, inspired that. So lots of questions asking kids to think about places they've been. And yeah, so I really enjoy doing school visits, although I don't, virtual school visits are not obviously the same because you don't have that engagement and interaction with kids. You don't get to just mm. talk to them. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to being able to do uh, real life school visits again. I bet. I mean, it must be quite hard to never actually be able to meet your readers. Yeah. Now, the episode is about magical uh, middle grade. I was just wondering, who are the writers writing in the magical grades, magical middle grade uh, space uh, that you enjoy reading? Um, I mean, so many. Ones I've enjoyed this year, if you're thinking specifically about magical middle grade, I really enjoyed uh, Amari and the Night Brothers by B.B. Alston that is it's so good it's like you know like Harry Potter meets Men in Black it's just so Mm. enjoyable such good world building 
And I really enjoyed it kind of having more of a sci-fi edge rather than that kind of classic British, you know, that kind of more old school British feel. I loved reading something that felt a lot more kind of modern and had the kind of sci-fi tech stuff. Um, I really enjoyed uh, Struan Murray's Orphans of the Tide series I'm resisting just saying my friends but I'm trying to think of other books as well you can say um, your friends too that's fine um well now you mention it uh I thought that uh Katie and Kevin Sang's Dragon Mountain was just so much fun and it's so mm. it's just the book that I just know that thinking of when I was a school librarian I just know that actual kids it's so great having those books that you can give to more reluctant readers it's so pacey and fun um mm and you know dragons and yeah it feels very fresh doesn't it It feels yeah. like there isn't anything else like that absolutely. on the market at the moment absolutely mm. uh, and I always have Kieran Millwood Hargrave's books um those are kind of more maybe magical realism than um mm. kind of that full fantasy uh element but yeah those are some that I've enjoyed recently uh and then, again more this is more magical realism but I uh also one of the nicest things to come out of lockdown is that I have had an almost entirely virtual friendship with Nicholas Skinner, who's another HarperCollins children's author. So we had met each other once very briefly and just through lockdown have ended up chatting loads about just writing and writing in lockdown uh, and her new book Starboard is coming out next week. And that's, yeah, a magical realism. I mean, it's that ship that comes to life. So that's pretty fantastical, but I just loved it. It's really funny and sharp and smart and uh so that's another one if that if that counts it's not quite the vibe but I'm gonna mm. I'm gonna say it anyway because I think it's brilliant <laughs> no that's a good tip thank you now we're nearly out of time so I just have a few quick fire questions uh, could you tell us about someone in the children's book world you really admire there's so there's so many people at the moment the person who comes to mind first is Sophie Anderson um she does a lot of work a lot of it behind the scenes about inclusivity and diversity and I really admire her commitment and dedication to uh learning about that and talking to other authors about the importance of that and I have learned a lot from her oh that's lovely and what's the best thing about making and selling children's books in this country oh I mean the community is amazing. I, I don't know if this, this isn't really specific to this country, but I think I get very worthy and sentimental about this, but like books meant everything to me when I was a child. And sometimes you meet a reader that your book is that book for them. And Aww. there's nothing like it the, when you get a letter and your book has been that book that means everything to a child. And then maybe specifically to the UK, seeing kids dress up as your characters for world book day is never gets old it's so great it's so great <laughs> I can imagine I can imagine and what are you looking forward to in the year ahead well being able to physically go to schools and festivals and book launches like I'm a huge extrovert and I just miss I miss people I miss speaking to readers I miss you know getting just celebrate books with the rest of the children's book community so you know, just I'm just looking forward to being able to see real people and real readers. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for um, being on the podcast today. It's been lovely to talk to you. And yes, hopefully we can all meet up again soon in the real yeah. world. <laughs> thank you so much. 
Thank you to everyone who is listening to this episode. This podcast is called Chapter and Verse, The Art of Selling Children's Books. It is brought to you by Rocket and the Bookseller Magazine, and I am Charlotte Eyre. 